But I know as we've been making our way through the Psalms, I have mentioned several times before that the Psalms are songs. I mean, the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. And I've mentioned that because we, what we find so true is that this, we, we relate to the Psalms. Most people are moved in some way by songs, and if not all songs, they are at least moved by certain songs. I think about how I do funerals, and through the years, there are certain songs that I've heard over and over again at funeral time. For example, I don't know how many times I've heard the song at a funeral, Go Rest High on the Mountain, or maybe that song, Daddy's Hands. And those songs are not spiritual songs per se, but people relate to the sentiment of those songs. The exact experiences spoken of in the song might not be their particular experiences, but they relate to that loved one who has been through a tough battle and now they hope that they are at rest or they relate to the fact that now they are missing their father who they loved. Because songs have this way of connecting to our experiences, and so they move us. Sometimes they inspire us, sometimes they motivate us, and sometimes they comfort us, sometimes they even instruct us. As we look at the psalm in the scriptures, we can experience all these things as well, and I believe it's particularly important that we let the psalms instruct us. Because God tells us this, that he has given us his word for our instruction so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might find hope. And so as we look at another psalm, I have no doubt that we're going to relate to these words, but let's allow them to instruct us so that in the end, we have hope. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 73. If you'll notice in your Bibles, if you have them open, the the psalm is simply titled a psalm of Asaph. Now, Asaph was a leader for the choir of King David. In other words, this was a man who helped lead the people in the worship of God. This would be like Luke or Zach writing for us an original worship song for us to sing as a congregation. Asaph wrote this song for the congregation. And as we go through it, we will see that Asaph wrote honestly and he wrote powerfully. As I said, God had these songs recorded in the Holy Scriptures because he knew they would instruct us. And the overall thing we're going to see in this psalm today is this, that God is a good God in whom you can take refuge. All right, catch that. That's the overall theme today, that God is a good God in whom you can take refuge. Now, part of this truth is seen right from the beginning as Asaph's opening words in verse 1 are this, truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. What Asaph is saying with these opening words is this, that he knows God is good. The word truly speaks to the certainty of what he's stating. Truly, God is good. From the beginning, he wants it declared that he knows that God is good, and he wants to lead the congregation to proclaim that God is good. As you read other Psalms, we see various ways in which God had been good to Israel. We, we always point to God delivering the Israelites from bondage in Egypt because that is one of the great milestones of Israel history. However, God had blessed them in giving them the promised land. God had blessed them in times of delivering from famine. God had blessed them in times of helping them defeat enemies that were much stronger. God was good in Israel that he didn't destroy them when they rebelled. Asaph could have recounted many incidents that showed God's goodness. In fact, if we'll do this this morning, here's what we can do individually. Individually, if we will stop for a moment, you know what we could do? We could sing of God's goodness. Could we not? I mean, as I even think about this past week for me personally, this week my granddaughter underwent some heart tests because of some concerns that were shown through genetic testing, and yet everything came back good. God was good to my family this week. Every day this week, I've had plenty to eat. 
God has been good to me. When I think about God's grace and how he still loves me despite my sin, I know that God has been good to me. And as I pondered the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, this is what I know. God is good. And I believe individually today. If you would take a moment and you would just stop and even look back just one week at all that God has done for you, here would have to be the conclusion that you would come to, that truly God is good. Asaph in verse one was really just stating what should be obvious to us all. However, he he followed this truth up with a small but powerful word. Verse two starts with the word, but. Though he knew God was good, he ran into something that made him struggle. Let's read through verse 12 and see what caused Asaph to struggle. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. You see, though Asaph knew God was good, he looked around at others and the experience that he saw, and he experienced this reality in his life that you can be tempted to doubt God's goodness when you see the wicked prosper. You see, Asaph looked around and he saw something that didn't make sense to him, that the wicked seemed to prosper. It appeared to him that when he saw wicked people, they didn't have any troubles. They seemed to have abundance to the point that they were fattened. I mean, they spoke in condescending, arrogant ways and got away with it. They they even seemed to oppress others. And on top of that, they would speak against God without suffering any seeming consequences. Instead of suffering, they always seemed to be at ease and their riches just increase. Let me ask this. You've never struggled with that, have you? Huh? You've never looked around and saw wicked people who seem to be thriving and, and questioned, is God really good? Have you ever done that? Of course we all have, right? We live in a world today where anyone who seeks to love God has to struggle with those who seem to rise to power yet live unscrupulous lives. You'd have to go back a few years, but any Christian had to struggle with how God could allow Hugh Hefner to amass millions of dollars and live such a life of fame by building an empire on pornography, all right? You have to wonder, what's going on with that? I mean, when I look at many politicians today, without trying to get political, you often have to ask, how do they get elected and yet live such immoral lives and come out of office wealthier than they went in? And by the way, I'm speaking about both parties, okay? You often look at athletes who rise to prominence, and when you get a glimpse behind the curtain of their lives, you wonder, how could they have been so successful? Even in our own community, I've known those who seem to have prominence and wealth, and yet you know their lives, that they're less than moral, and their business practices less than ethical, but they never get into trouble, and they continue to succeed. We wonder, how could God let this happen? Don't we? Shake your head this way. Yes, that's me. See, Asaph was very honest in verse 2. He said, because of what he saw, his feet had almost stumbled, and his steps had nearly slipped. Since he had just declared previously God's goodness, we have to assume that he almost slipped away from that truth. He was tempted in this moment to doubt whether God really was good or not. Let me remind you of something we saw just a few weeks ago. It's okay to have questions for God. 
Any Christian who is honest will tell you they've had moments of doubt about God or question about God's goodness. Asaph, in a way, is just another example of what happens in the life of every Christian. However, Asaph, is in his honesty, shows us the depth of his struggle, all right, and what can happen. So, In fact, let's pick it up in verse 13. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. In these verses, we see honestly from Asaph, but it's also a warning, which is this. Doubting God can tempt you to leave the faith. You see, Asaph was honest in saying what he observed in life made him question the wisdom of his own faith. His words were this, in vain that he had kept his heart clean and washed his hands in innocence. As he viewed it, he was continually suffering. He was being rebuked, even though he was being faithful to the Lord. Therefore, it made sense for him to say, I've had faith to no avail. God has done me no good. Have you ever been there? You have, right? I can't see those heads shaking home, but I imagine even those at home today would say, yep, I've been there. I've wondered, have I really served God? I mean, let's again be honest because honesty is always the best. And we have been where Asaph found himself. And I wonder how many Christian parents have struggled as they've watched their children struggle and get passed over while kids who are ungodly seem to get the awards or get the recognition or appear to be the favorite more than would like to admit. How many adults have wondered why the coworker who is always cutting corners or even cheating and got that promotion while they got passed over as they followed the rules and worked hard, even being very particular to do things right? I bet there are many workers like that, right? I wonder how many ministers have watched churches flourish while being led by ministers who clearly were pursuing their own material gain while their churches struggle as they sought to be faithful to God, even sacrificing personally for the good of the church. I bet there's many ministers who've done that, right? We have all had those moments where we wondered if our faith was worth it and we were ready to leave our faith behind believing God really wasn't good to us. Notice for ASAP, this was most likely an internal struggle because he said if he had spoken what he was feeling, he would have betrayed the next generation. This was at least a wise choice for ASAP because it's never a good thing to be a stumbling block, is it? No, it's not. I'm glad that Asaph waited to write this song after he had completely worked through his feelings before he declared something wrong to others. I even saw a commentator who said it was Asaph's concern for the next generation that made him doubt his own doubt, that even though that might have been a bad reason, it was least enough to have him reconsider his doubts. All right, Now, not sure that was really the case, but truly Asaph said when he considered that, it was wearisome to him. For any of us, if you dwell on what seems to be the prosperity of the wicked, it can drain your faith. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. What is the answer to that? Well, the very next verse puts you on the right course. Look at verse 17. He said, listen, this is the way I felt until I went into the sanctuary of God. There I discerned their end. See, the answer to your doubts, folks, is being in the presence of God. The thing here that began to change Asaph's view was going into the sanctuary. For Asaph, since he was the leader of the choir, this most likely was him physically going into the sanctuary. But what was important was that the sanctuary was the place where God met with the people. It wasn't about the place as much as about who Asaph was meeting with. Because folks, you don't have to physically go into a building to meet with God, okay? We, we should know that. 
But all believers understand that there is something special about entering the sanctuary of God. What makes this time of living through a pandemic so difficult for some is they physically cannot come to church for health reasons, and it's tough on them. You miss the corporate singing of God's praises together. You miss collectively coming into this place and worshiping God with other believers. You miss coming in this place that is dedicated to the worship of God because in your homes there are many other things that happen and it's easy to get distracted. You know, last week when I was on vacation and I was watching from home, I can tell you this, my dog Griffey made it a whole lot harder for me to worship than this morning. All right. The fact that Griffey is not with me today makes it so much easier for me to worship the Lord this morning because the sanctuary is a place that's dedicated to the worship of God. It facilitates one recognizing God's presence. Okay. But again, please hear me. Okay. You do not have to go to a physical building to be in God's presence especially for believers today because Paul, writing to Gentile Christians in Ephesians 2, stated this, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Or Peter, writing to believers in 1 Peter 2, says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, hear me when I say this, Our very lives are meant to be sanctuaries for the living God. God wants to dwell in us every day, and he wants to meet with us. But we have to come into his presence, whether that would be singing songs that remind us of his truths or reading his word where we encounter his truths or whether that's in prayer as we dialogue with God, letting his spirit show us the truth of our lives that so desperately need him, we must enter into the presence of God because being in his presence gives life a whole new perspective. What being in the presence of a God does for us is this. It allows us to stop viewing things from a worldly perspective and begin to view things from a godly or a spiritual perspective. When we come into God's presence, however that is, God has an opportunity to change your perspective on the world, to change your perspective on what is going on around you, and even change how you respond to what is going on. In fact, I have been in the midst of a crowd of people before, and in the midst of that crowd, I have entered the sanctuary of God by just simply taking a moment, blocking out all that is going on around me, and just talking to God in prayer. And I didn't even have to close my eyes to look weird in a moment, but just blocking everything out and saying, saying, God, I'm meeting with you in this moment. And here's what God's been able to do in that moment. He's often changed my attitude and changed my actions in a moment as I took time to come into his presence. We all need at times to enter the presence of the Lord to gain perspective. And when you do, you're going to discover a few things. If you come to his presence, the first one being this, you'll discover in God's presence, you see the truth of the wicked's end. Look at verses 18 through 20. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord when you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. Asaph in God's presence began to see things much differently. Yes, in the moment, the wicked still seemed to flourish, but what Asaph realized in God's presence is that the end of the wicked is not a pretty thing. Asaph realized that God, being a God of justice, will not let the wicked flourish forever. In fact, they fall to ruin and are destroyed in a moment. In fact, we have all even witnessed this in our times, have we not? In a day and time where social media, when something happens, it's known in a moment, we have seen people fall quickly. 
In recent years, we saw the disgrace of one of TV's most beloved dads as Bill Cosby got caught up in scandal, and in a moment, he fell. Or this past year, as actresses Felicity Huffman and Lori Loughlin were part of a college admission scandals. In the political realm, we have seen governors such as Alito Spitzer of New York and Roy Blagojevich, I can't, didn't say that right, in Illinois, all right, be brought down by corruption. There have been many people in the sports world through the years, such as Lance Armstrong or Tanya Harding. And of course, there's been the movie mogul Harvey Weinstein, whose name you can't avoid these days when it comes to scandal. Every one of these at one time were very successful, many at the top of their respective profession, only to quickly fall into disgrace. Things can truly change in a moment for those who appear to have everything, but who have lived less than moral lives. Asaph, when he entered the presence of the Lord, realized that even if in the moment things seem to be flourishing for the wicked, that there would come a time of reckoning where things will change and the wicked will fall. Now, this falling, hear me, it may not come on this earth. Many wicked people die seemingly on top. But let's remember, even for them, the end will not be good. The Bible makes it clear that there is a day where we will all stand before God in judgment. In Hebrews 9.27, we are simply told, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, we get a small understanding of what the judgment of the wicked will be like in the end when we read, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So when you come into the presence of the Lord, you see that the end of the wicked and you understand that the end is not one of flourishing, but of destruction. Destruction. Think about this. For all of eternity, experiencing destruction away from the presence of God. You see, in God's presence, you understand the lives of the wicked are nothing to envy. Their end is not to be desired, not even mentioning the reality that most of their lives in the present are not as rosy as they appear. Now, in the presence of the Lord, you see the end of the wicked, but also in the presence of the Lord, you see the foolishness of your thinking. Look at what Asaph writes next in verses 21 and 22. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Now, looking at these verses, the word translated in the ESV as brutish can be translated senseless, or if you want a harsher word, it could mean stupid. Okay, but when I use that word stupid, I think of the movie Game Plan where the little girl on there says, stupid is a mean word, Mr. Cooper. Some of y'all watch that, right? But that is the point Asaph is making. If you're not careful, you can think wrongly. The the word ignorant even is just that. It's, It's without knowledge. And what Asaph was acknowledging was that as he looked at what he saw as the apparent contradiction that the wicked prosper while he and others who sought to do right suffered, he began to think wrongly. He began to think foolishly because he was bitter, because he was envious. He began to let his mind be guided not by what he knew to be true, but instead by his emotions. And instead of trusting what he knew to be true about God, he allowed his emotions to drive his thinking to the point that he was being senseless, that he was being ignorant. He was being stupid. You see, this reality is something that none of us want to admit today. We've all been where ASAP was. We have all been in a situation where we were so upset with what we saw as an apparent inconsistencies or injustices that we failed to rightly look at the situation and be driven by the truth. Instead, we were driven by lies or misunderstanding. Unfortunately, folks, that is more the norm for our days than abnormal. No one truly today wants to operate by the truth. They want to operate by emotions and therefore often act without thinking. And when we act without thinking, we get into trouble, whether we get into trouble by the words we speak or the actions we take. 
Asaph realized that when he came into the sanctuary of the Lord, that he was at that point. He was at the point where his thinking had become so skewed that wrong actions were getting ready to follow. That is in part what he meant earlier when he said if he had spoken, he would have betrayed the next generation. He knew he was on the verge of leading others astray. Thankfully, as Asaph went into the house of the Lord, he recognized the foolishness of his thinking. Now, before I leave this point, let me quickly remind us all that that's why it's important for us to remember the words of 2 Corinthians 10, 5, which say this, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I love that last phrase, take every thought captive to obey Christ. In a world, folks, where we are bombarded with varying opinions, seemingly inconsistencies, it's very important that we continually enter the presence of the Lord so that every wrong thought is taken captive to obey Christ. That way you are able to think correctly and to act according to the truths of God. One of those being this, something else that we see in the presence of God of this, we see the faithfulness of God. In fact, look at the next verses here in Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you receive me to glory. Here's something that Asaph realized in God's presence. That even though he had been on the verge of turning his back on God, that God was not turning his back on him. Asaph may have felt that he was following God in vain and ready to join the wicked, but nonetheless, God was holding his right hand. God was still counseling him, and God was ready to receive him into glory someday. I mean, what comforting words those are, words that remind us that even our moments of doubting God, being tempted to turn away from God, does not change God's love for us. Is that good news? It is good news. It's comforting words for us. I'm so thankful today that we're reminded that, again, our moments of gowning, of being tempted to turn away of God, does not change his love, does not change God's desire to guide us, to walk with us, and to bless us. God doesn't turn his back on those who truly love him, even if in a moment of weakness or doubt, it causes one to momentarily move away from God. I'm reminded so much here of the familiar words of Romans 8, where it says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what, folks? There is no love that compares to God's love for those that love him. All right? When you enter in the presence of God, you are reminded over and over of his faithfulness. I love the th- song that we have been singing recently entitled, Run to the Father. The chorus says, my heart needs a surgeon and my soul needs a friend. I know for me, I resonate with those words because I know this, that I have a heart that often needs a surgeon. You know what that means, right? There's parts of my heart that's not right. There's parts of my heart that's sick and my heart needs a surgeon. I know in my life, my heart needs a surgeon. But at the same time, I know this, that my my soul, it needs a friend. I need someone who will listen. I need someone to encourage. I need someone to be there for me even when I'm on the wrong track. And because I, 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 I have those needs in my life, I like how the song reminds us that God is both a surgeon and he is a friend for us because the song moves to saying this, my heart found a surgeon and my soul found a friend so I run to the father again and again and again and maybe we should even say and again and again and again and again and again 
We need to continually run into his presence. We need to continue coming to the presence of God so that we can see the reality such as the wicked are punished in the end. We need to come again and again in the presence of the Father. Be reminded that often our thinking becomes foolish. We need to come into the presence again to be reminded that he is faithful. But we need to come into his presence to see the sufficiency of God. Look at Asaph's words in verses 25 and 26. Because again, if we come into God's presence, we will see his sufficiency. Because in verse 25 and 26, Asaph goes on to write. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. All right, let's go ahead and face the truth that when we get so frustrated with the things that we see around us, and even to the point that we are doubting God's goodness, what we are really doing is looking to other things other things than God to satisfy us. Are we not? We're looking for a larger amount in our bank account to make us happy. We're looking for a house that looks more like the wealthy neighbor down the street to satisfy us. We are looking for the big promotion to make us feel accomplished. We are looking for the pat on the back to make us feel appreciated. We are looking for the number on the bathroom scale to be lower so that we feel acceptable. We are looking for our enemies to fall so that we feel justified. We are looking to all these thinking things thinking somehow if we get what we want, we will be complete. We will be satisfied. However, the truth is when we get those things, we just simply find something else to dissatisfy us. Here's what truly is being in the presence of the Lord shows us that only God is sufficient to meet our needs. Let's look at the words of Asaph again. Scripture really is sufficient to stand on its own without my commentary. So let's read it again. If you, if you, read, if you want, you can even read it out loud with me here or even at home. Feel free to read this out loud. Look at these words. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Are the words of Asaph something that's true in your life today? Can you say there's nothing on earth you desire besides God? Can you say that God is your strength and that he is your portion, not just now, but forever? Asaph surely was where we all get at some point. He was looking and thinking that material possessions would satisfy he had looked at the wicked who seemed happy and saw that they were flourishing and thought to himself, well, I need what they have to be satisfied. However, being in the presence of God changed his opinion to where he understood that it was only God who could meet his every need, that it was only God who could give him joy, that it was only God who could give him peace, that it was only God who could give him life. And he knew now that no material thing or no person or nothing on this earth can offer, anything, can offer satisfaction, but that only God can do that. Is that something today that you have recognized? Do you share the words of Asaph? I have to ask those questions because we are brought to this point. Well, we recognize this, is that you have a choice to be near to God and find refuge. Look at the closing words of Psalm 73. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. You see, Asaph in the end makes something very clear. You're going to fall into one of two categories. You will choose to be a person who is far from God or you will choose to be a person who draws near to God. If you choose to be far from God, your future is set. You will perish someday. 
However, if you choose to be near to God, not only is your future set, but you can also live every day knowing this, that God is your refuge. He is a refuge who will be with you every day and give you a reason to tell others of his wonderful works. He will be a refuge as you face a pandemic. He will be your refuge as you face a racial division. He will be your refuge as you face a cancer diagnosis. He will be your refuge as you face the uncertainty of your job. He will be your refuge when your marriage seems to be falling apart. He will be your refuge when you're grieving the loss of one that you love. He will be your refuge when you seem to be overwhelmed by your own doubts and fears. He will be your refuge when friends abandon you and even speak evil against you. He will be your refuge no matter what you face. But you have to choose to be near him. Asaph basically said that in the end as he looked at his life. He says, I have made the Lord my refuge. We have to make that choice. James encourages us to make this choice. He says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify our hearts, you double-minded. So you must choose to draw near to God. And if you are still unclear how you do this, let me get ready to wrap up by reminding you ultimately how you draw near to God. You draw near to God through your faith in Jesus Christ and through trusting your life to him. You know what we often do? Is we often turn to religion believing that there are religious acts that if we perform them correctly, that we'll be close to God. Many even believe if a priest offers up the right prayers or sacrifices them, they will be clean and they will be close to God. However, we have to remember something, folks. There is only one priest that can make us right with God. Okay. There is only one priest that can draw us close to God. Only one priest, and that's not a normal priest. The only priest that can make us right with God and draw us near to God is the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, the writer is reminding us of the greatness of Jesus and the uniqueness of Jesus. And he writes this in Hebrews 7. Consequently, he, that being Jesus, is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men of oath, which came later. Then the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. In other words, folks, Jesus is our only hope today of drawing near to God and finding refuge. He is the only priest today that can make you right with God. And so the question is, have you placed your faith in Jesus? You know what? He died for your sins. He without sin. He didn't need to offer up a sacrifice for himself. Why? Because he knew no sin, but he took that sinless life and he offered it up on a cross to die for your sin and to my sin to pay the price. Why? So that that sin that had separated us could be dealt with so that we could what? Be close to God. It allows us to be forgiven and draw near to a holy God once again. My question is, have you given your life to him? Have you trusted your life to him? If not, today is the day to do that. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, well, yes, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Well, here is what I pray for you then. I pray today that you understand that God is a good God in whom you take refuge. I pray that today and every day that you will draw close to him. And that as you come into the presence of God, you will let him show you the end of the wicked so you will not envy them. 
That you will let him show you the fullness of your thinking so that it can change to think rightly before God. That you will let him remind you of his faithfulness so that you'll not doubt that he is there. That you'll not doubt his goodness today. And that you'll let him remind you that today only he is sufficient to meet your every need. Because I have no doubt if you'll come into the presence of God, what you'll discover is that God is a good God in whom you can take refuge. Are you coming into his presence today? Let's pray together. Our Father, we come and bow before you again, first offering up a confession. That, Father, that we have been prone to doubt you. That even though, Father, like Asaph, we recognize your goodness and we would declare truly God is good. Father, we're prone to letting the circumstances around us And the injustices we see make us question you. And Father, if if that's not the confession of all who are gathered here, God, let me me just at least make it my confession. And Father, I am prone to do that. I am prone even to want my thinking to get clouded, my thinking to become foolish. I'm prone today to want to say, what good is it for me to live for God when I see the wicked? And they seem to be flourishing. So, Father, we come before you first today and ask your forgiveness. And God, come into your presence today to recognize your goodness. Thanking you today that people like Asaph that that has wrestled with these same feelings took the time to write, inspired by your spirit, words that you saw fit to be in your holy scripture today that we could look at them and, Lord, we could relate to them and we could say, that's me, I've been there, I'm, I'm like that. Father, at the same time, we could be pointed to our hope. Our hope that says, even when we're there, if we'll come into your presence, God, you can change our view. You can change our thinking. You can remind us of your faithfulness today. You can remind us that you are sufficient. That, Father, today, we can be changed in your presence to have a new perspective. So today, I pray that even for some who may have come here this morning and they've come to church and they're saying, I'm not sure what the use is, but I'm going to try it. Or maybe they've come and they're saying, well, I'm going to try church one more time and see if I feel any better. But those that are watching at home, Lord, if they sit there and say, well, I'm going to turn it on and see if there's something to, to give me hope, Lord, I pray today that as we've heard from your word, we've related with it, that today, God, we would be changed. That we would reach out to you recognizing that indeed you are a good God in whom we can take refuge in our time of trouble. So Lord, continue to speak to us, Father, as we sing this closing song of response. God, I pray if some need to reach out to you during this time, they will. Maybe some don't even need to sing a word. God, they just need to humbly bow before you and sit in your presence. Let you remind them of who you are. Whatever the need, Father, I pray during this time, you'll continue to speak to our hearts and we'll respond to you in Jesus' name.